And, and yeah, we're continuing our series in prayer for a month of prayer in February. And um, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, I'll just give you a quick sort of recap. Uh, we started actually looking at the Lord's Prayer um, in Matthew and the idea of, well, where do we start? Because prayer can kind of be overwhelming and, and Jesus has given us this model of um, the Lord's Prayer is kind of like a structure to help us follow through and and that structure starts with God and, and his name is Father and his name being honoured and glorified. We kind of start with him and then sort of work our way through and, and bring our requests and needs to him as well. And then Murray shared last week about intimacy with, with God and Jesus in prayer. And this idea of prayer is not just asking for stuff, but it's this it's relationship with God. And it involves time and, and connection with him and, and devotion to him. And actually, in the same way that relationships with people and in marriages or friendships or family, they work when you spend time together, when you talk, when you relate. It's the same with God, that, that he, he desires this sort of relationship with us that means living in his presence and, and being intimate and close to him. And today... I want to keep going. And kind of last week in some ways was like the devotional, intimate side of prayer, which is really important. And I suppose another side of prayer is, is just the idea of actually asking God for things, um, actually asking God to act or to do things or to change things or to, to heal somebody or to provide for something. And, and a, a big part of prayer when we, when we look in the Bible is actually asking God to do things. Um, but sometimes we may be tempted or a bit confused by that and kind of not necessarily know if that's useful or worthwhile at all. And maybe we may not admit this, but we might even ask ourselves the question. I'll just click um, back on there, I think. Ask ourselves the question, does it actually even make a difference? Does, does my prayers actually change things or do they just change me? And you may have even heard that before, that the, the, the kind of line that prayer doesn't change God, it just changes me, it just changes us. So prayer is just a way for us to grow in relationship to God and be conformed to Him, but it doesn't actually really change the, the situation or the circumstances. And that maybe that's been your experience of prayer, or may, maybe you kind of just have this thought of, well, does it really make a difference? Like, like does it really matter? Like, am I, do, do we actually need to ask God for something, or is He just going to do it? Anyway, and there's this quote by Dallas Willard that gets to the heart of this, that this question is so important because depending what we believe about this is really going to influence our ability to pray or not. He, he says this, the idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is the specter, it's like a ghost that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. He's saying if we believe that God's going to do these things, God's, the things that are going to happen in life are going to happen regardless of whether we pray or not, then it kind of means God wants us to pray, but it doesn't actually really make a difference. Like it's just kind of this thing that's there and it, it, it doesn't actually change things. It doesn't actually, if we didn't pray, nothing would be different. That actually makes prayer really, really difficult. And, and yeah, we might say, well, there's still like a personal growth aspect to prayer, but the, the idea of actually asking God to intervene and, and to move becomes very, very difficult. Um, and 
not sure where, where you're at with that. Maybe that's been um, a, a struggle for you or a question. And may, maybe not. And maybe you, maybe you know from experience that God really works and answers prayer. Um, but sometimes there's, there's even a doubt. Like, like we pray and God answers, but then we sort of think, well, would that have happened anyway? Like, was it just coincidence? Or did, did my prayer actually influence God to act? So what I want to do today is, is look at this passage in Luke particularly, and then I'm going to actually go through a whole lot of different stories in Scripture. I've got a lot to get through today, so hopefully it's not too overwhelming. Um, but, but we're going to look, start with Jesus and what he says here, and then I'm going to look at some other examples throughout, throughout the Bible. Um, the interesting thing, right, is that, that passage we just read, so we taught on the Lord's Prayer two weeks ago. But in Luke, straight after that, Jesus tells this story. And this story is all about a guy who has a desperate need who asks and requests it's really interesting. It's almost like a funny, funny story. I'll read through it again and just sort of talk through it. This says, so Jesus has just taught on prayer and the Lord's Prayer. Then he says, then Jesus said to them, he tells them a story. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. So again, this is like before 24-7 McDonald's, like before cars, before you can go, just go down to the shops, before a fridge, like before it takes time to make bread. And on top of that, in this culture, like people were traveling by, by foot probably, and hospitality is a big deal. So imagine you, you have a friend arriving from out of town, they've had a long journey into the night, they arrive to your home at midnight, and part of like the culture is that you're obligated to be hospitable to them, they need to eat, and you have this need that you actually are required to provide food for them, but you don't have anything. And it's midnight, no, no shops, but you know that your friend just down the street has extra bread. So you go, you wake him up, and you ask him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And again, back then, this was like a normal situation. People might have lived like in one house, might have slept kind of in the one room or even in, a, in the one bed. There's maybe animals there as well. And he, he calls out and he, and he hears his friend's request, but it's like this is too much of a bother to get up. Like if I get up, I'm going to wake up the kids and I'll wake up the animals. Like it's, it's, it's going to be too much difficult. It's the middle of the night. You're probably like half asleep. So he basically just tells him to go away. And, and, and again, this is, this is, he's not going to a stranger. He's going to a friend. But he says, well, no, I can't, I can't help you. Sorry. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, so even though he's your friend, he's not going to help, yet because of your shameless audacity, this is the idea of like bold persistence or even boldness in risking. You're almost risking the friendship in a sense because this, this, in the story, the guy like basically says, no, I need the bread. Like, I'm not leaving. And he keeps knocking on the door. Or he just sort of says, I'm still here. Like, he keeps going. Like, he doesn't give up. And it's just this bold, like, persistence. And Jesus says, if, if you do that, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This guy eventually will cave, and he will give in. And he has the bread, and he'll give it to you, and you'll get what you need. So Jesus tells this story, and then straight after that, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus tells this story as an example of someone asking boldly with persistence. And then he says, do that. 
ask. And this idea of the, the, the words in the Greek are like, continue to ask, seek, continue to seek, continue to knock. That actually, he's encouraging them to pray and make requests of God with boldness and with persistence. Then he goes on from there, and, and, and this kind of all builds. He then asks these rhetorical questions. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, I don't know, many kids probably ask for an egg, but we'll give him a scorpion. It's like in, in our natural relationships, when a child makes a request of a father, their, their desire is to give them the request, a good thing, what's good for them. Not to give them something evil when they've asked for something good. But then Jesus goes on and he says, if you then, though you are evil, he's saying like, like we're not good people, and the, even though because of that, we would give good things to our children. We know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is comparing a relationship between a child and a father and saying when a child makes requests of a father, fathers respond, though we are evil, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus' like story and encouragements are just all like this, this passionate encouragement to ask God for stuff, to, to ask God for what we need. And particularly the main thing we needed, his spirit and his presence. But to actually ask him. Jesus assumes like in this teaching that therefore if we don't ask, we may not receive by implication. That actually the asking is important and God, in a sense, even waits to be asked and responds to us when we ask. So does it make a difference? When we look at the Bible, like the overwhelming answer to that question is yes, that God listens and responds to our requests. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot and been challenged by this this week, and it's, it's easy to then get into this kind of like theoretical abstract realm of like, well, why does God answer certain requests and not others, and, and how does that work? And, and those questions can be good in a sense, but when you just look at the Bible and just say, well, actually, let's just look at the Bible for what the Bible teaches about prayer, again and again and again, it's, it's people pray, God listens, God responds. People pray, God listens, God responds. People pray and things change and things shift. And, and how or why that works, I guess, is another question. But does it make a difference the overwhelming argument evidence from Scripture is, yes, it makes a huge difference. What I want to do, though, just to continue to kind of just, just shape us around this idea, because sometimes we, we may not really think this or not really be convinced. I want to look at a few examples from the Bible, some pretty remarkable examples of, of people praying and it really changing things, it really shifting things. You may have heard some of these before, but they're worth having a look at because they're really interesting. Actually, yeah, I'll just read this, this quote out. Again, this quote is a bit, um, it, it, it's trying to make a point. And again, prayer does shape us, but he's trying to get, get us and get our head around the, the power of it. He says this, this is Rudolf Boltman, prayer is not to bring the petitioner's will into submission to the unchanging will of God, what we may think. It doesn't really make a difference. It just changes us. He says, but prayer is to move God to do something which he otherwise would not do. Like, and yes, it does shape, shape us. It does change us. And there are times when we, we pray and there's a need to just submit to the situation. But in many cases throughout the Bible, things would be different if people hadn't prayed. 
that actually prayer shapes and changes things powerfully. So what I'll do is look at some examples. This is the example of Moses. A really brief backstory. Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're slaves. God delivers them powerfully, does, does miracles and wonders and rescues them through the Red Sea. And then they're in the desert and God provides food for them in the desert and water from the desert. And then God enters this like relationship with them, a covenant with them. But then as soon as Moses goes up the mountain and is away for a while, they just forget God and they make this new God. They make this golden calf. And one author describes it as it's, it's, it's almost like a wedding covenant. And then Israel like commits adultery on the wedding night, like straight away. They're just now worshiping another God. And, and this, is, this is significant. And God is rightly angry. And God has this conversation with Moses that is remarkable. It says this, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. They don't want to obey me. They don't want to listen to me. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God says to Moses, I'm not going to work with these people anymore. Right? They're not being faithful. They don't want to follow me. I'm done. But I'm going to make a new nation out of you. And then Moses starts to argue with God. This is a really interesting passage. I encourage you to go and read it in Exodus 32. Moses, this, this is what it says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, now he starts to reason and argue with God. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He questions God. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? He's saying, what are the Egyptians going to think if you do this, God? Like, why are you angry at them? Why are you going to do this? And then God, then Moses commands God in a sense. He says, turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring this disaster on your people. Moses is asking God, but strongly saying to God, do not do this. He's wrestling with God in prayer. I haven't got verse 13 up there, but Moses continues to convince God through using promises, the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac. And then it says this, the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. You see, God was going to do this. Moses prayed and argued. God listened and responded, and he decided not to do that. And you think, how does that work theologically? And like, you could wrap your head around that massively, but, but this is what the story teaches, that, that actually Moses wrestled with God in prayer and it changed things. It shifted the circumstance. There's another example of Hezekiah, who's a king um, in Israel, a good king, uh, who had seen amazing answers to prayer in his life um, of, of God working powerfully and, and delivering him. But this is towards the end of his life. And, and he's not old. I think he's, he's still quite young. But this happens. This is Second Kings 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. He gets sick. Was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, so this is a prophet of God, like Isaiah, right, the prophet, who said amazing words of God, comes to the king and says, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Imagine if that happened, happened to you, happened to us, like, there's, there's someone that can so powerfully hear from God or someone's sick and we're praying and we, we say, well, God has said that you're not going to get better. Like, like it's a clear word from God. What would we say? We'd say, well, the thing to do is just to su- submit to that and say, okay, Lord, that's, that's fine. I trust you, whatever your will is. 
But this is what Hezekiah does. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've worked before you faithfully and wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah whipped bitterly, bitterly. Like Hezekiah just pours out his heart to God. He reminds God of his promises and, and, and who he is. He, he does like the thing you're not supposed to do in prayer, right? Like, like Hezekiah's like, look how good I am. Look how good I've been. I've done all the good things. Like, and again, this is in the old covenant and that there are blessings for faithfulness and obedience. But, but Hezekiah just pours out his heart. And then this happens. Before Isaiah had left the middle course, Isaiah's left, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. Like, that's crazy. Like, he's just left. He's like, this is what God says. He's walking out and God says, no, go back and tell him I'm going to heal him. On the third day from now, you will go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. So he was going to die. He prays before God. He, he, he weeps. He pleads with God. God listens and responds. And in this situation, God heals him and adds 15 years to his life. And the implication is, is if Hezekiah hadn't have prayed, that wouldn't have happened. That it was because he prayed, God listened and responded. There's this other story, which is interesting, because both of those examples are examples of in the, basically like right there, right? Like he's, he's walking out the door and he prays and it's like instant response like that. But often that's not the case. Or with Moses, he's arguing with God and then it says God relents. Like it's instant response. But often our prayers are not responded to instantly. And there's this really interesting example in the Bible in, in the book of Daniel that, that describes the complexity around that. And it's not as simple as we might think. There's this story in Daniel 10 Again, I encourage you to have a look at this at some time. And what's basically happened is Daniel has been um, heard from God. God has spoken to him and he's, and he's seeking understanding and he's praying and he's, and he's needing God to come and to speak to him more. So he starts to pray. And it, this is an intense time of prayer. So he even decides not to eat certain foods. Um, he, he decides just to set himself apart and to pray. And it, he started to pray and he's been doing this for three weeks. And after three weeks, an angel shows up that God has sent. And this is what the angel says. The angel continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So Daniel's praying, and the angel comes three weeks later, and the angel says to him, From the first day that you prayed, I heard... The first time, God heard straight away. And he's come in response three weeks later. And we read, there's more things going on. This says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And this is strange, right? This is an angel that's been sent to Daniel. But the angel's saying, I was resisted by the prince of the Persian kingdom. It's like another angel, some kind of evil angel or spiritual being has resisted this. For 21 days, there's been a spiritual war going on. And then it says, Then Michael, one of the chief princes, another one comes in, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. It's like there's some, some crazy stuff going on that Daniel's not even aware of. This says it takes... Uh, so, that, so basically the idea being, Daniel starts to pray, God hears, God sends a response, but the response is blocked by other spiritual forces and things that are going on. 
And again, we don't have time to get into that today, and, and I, I would need to study and think through that a lot more. But basically the idea that, that we just sort of think, well, we, we pray and God responds, and if God hasn't responded, it's just because God is waiting or God it, it has another plan. This is saying, well, actually, sometimes God could have responded, but there could be things blocking that response. And it's like, how does that work? This is what one author described, that this is actually complex. He says it takes considerable spiritual maturity to live in the tension between these two facts. God has heard our prayer and the powers are blocking God's response. Now, those two things could be true, that we've prayed, God's heard us, He's responded, but there's actually other spiritual things going on that could be blocking God's response. And Daniel didn't know that. He's, he continues to pray. And eventually, after three weeks, this angel comes through and he, and he receives the answer. And again, the question is, what would have happened if Daniel had stopped? Like, like it seems like his prayer is tied up in this, in this response getting through. And that the, the angel was sent because he prayed. So sometimes there can be a, there's a response, but it can be delayed. And there's this need to persist, like Jesus is saying. So say if we, and there's, there's so many other examples throughout Scripture. People pray, God responds, God listens to the requests. And again, this is not saying that God says yes to everything that we ask. We know that's not true. And again, we see examples of that in the Bible. But He does respond. He does listen. And the encouragement is to persist and to keep going. There's another story of, of Paul in the New Testament um, who, who, who says he pleads with God three times to remove this, this issue, this struggle from him. And then there's a response from Jesus that basically says, I'm not going to do that, but, but I'm going to empower you to get through it. And again, so Paul can let it go, but there's been a response. Like, like God has heard and God has said, I'm going to do this. So it's not that God will necessarily do exactly what we ask him to do, but we're to keep asking until there's some sort of resolution or there's some kind of response or there's some kind of uh, the, the, the response that's in right proportion, like asking and receiving, seeking, knocking, um, seeking, finding, knocking, and the door being open. So yes, it makes a difference. And, and the issue for us then is not so much trying to figure it out, what's going on, because there could be lots of things going on. The, the issue for us is to persevere. That's, that's Jesus' encouragement, to keep asking in faith, believing God and trusting God. To, we are to persist, ask boldly and confidently for His will to be done. So we're still praying in line, in line with the Lord's prayer. We pray His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there's lots of situations where God's will isn't being done, where things are not in line with what it's like when God's king, when God's in charge. And actually it's our job to pray that God's kingdom would come and to persist and ask boldly. This is, and this is, this, is, this is what Tom Wright says about this. Prayer needs persistence and energy, like fuel for a car. Not just the rituals or motions which are important, but lack the energy. He talks about how we, prayer can be in different, lots of different forms. And I suppose sometimes we pray in, in more ritualistic ways or routine ways, um, which is good and necessary. He talks about these are like, like the frame of a car. Like, like it's good to have the daily rituals and routines of prayer. But there's also times when we need the fuel of prayer, the, which is like the passion, bold, persistent asking and requesting of God. Not just the sort of, just the day-to-day, -day, but the actual, the power and the, the persistence to pray. And you might be thinking about this and, and you might be thinking, well, that sounds great, but I don't have that. 
I, 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 I don't know how to pray like that. Like I go to pray and I say two or three things and then I'm done. And that's, that's kind of it. And we, that's, that's really the question we might say. Well, how do we get the fuel? Like, like if, if we need fuel and power in our, in our ability to pray, how do we get it? How do we get the persistence and the energy to, to pray like that, to pray in the way that Jesus is describing, like this knocking, this bold persistence? And the short answer to that is, is, is it comes from God, that, that the idea of prayer is stirred by God. If we're praying, it's because God has worked in us. There's the verses in Romans about we're praying, the Spirit is praying in us, and we're articulating the words, the groanings of the Spirit. And, and we, the good thing to pray for is to pray that God would grow us in prayer. And, and, and God, it's God's work. But I think there's some things that we can do to help us get to a place where we have this, some of the fuel and the passion and the energy to pray persistently like this. I've been reading some of Andrew Murray's work on prayer, and he has some great things. I've kind of just tried to summarize some of his points down into three points. But I thought of this idea about motivation. And I don't know about you, but you know when you need to do something, maybe, maybe when you're studying and you have an assignment, or maybe you're doing some work around the house and you want to finish the project, or maybe it's Christmas and you need to get the Christmas shopping done, and you say, this year, I'm going to get the Christmas shopping done by the end of November. Like, it's going to be done early. Or, or this year, we're going to get this renovation done halfway through the year, and then I'm going to get the next one done. And you sort of set a deadline, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get these things organized and get these things done. But the deadline comes, and you don't do it. <laughs> like, like, it's getting into December now, and late December, and you still haven't started the Christmas shopping. And some, some people are really organized, and you set a deadline, and you do it. And that's really good and discipline. There's other people who a fake deadline doesn't really work, right? Like, like you set the deadline, you put it in your calendar, but then you know that it's not a real deadline. You know, you don't really have to have the Christmas shopping done by the end of November. You know, you don't have to have your assignment earlier done a week earlier. You know, you don't have to have the renovation done by now, and you, so you don't do it. There's no motivation. But a real deadline motivates. You, know, you see people at Christmas, like Christmas Eve, who haven't done their shopping, and they're motivated because it's a real deadline. Or you see uni students like trying to submit the assignment when they've got an hour to go and they've got to get it in, like they're motivated. Or you see like, I don't know, people doing renovations when there's people moving in or the, you've got people coming to visit and you need to get it done or you need to get the house sold and you need to get it clean because the settlement date's coming, like there's motivation. And this principle is like reality motivates. Like, like a fake deadline's not reality. Like, it's good if you're disciplined, but it's not real, it's fake. But the real deadline, reality, motivates, because you have to face reality. But often, the way we live, we, we don't want to face reality. We, we don't want to open ourselves up to the reality of how things really are, because it's overwhelming, because it's really confronting. But actually... Opening ourselves to reality is a way to motivate and bring fuel to pray. So I've got these three ideas. Firstly is to em embrace the reality of the need. You know, it's easy to look on the news. It's easy to look around your street or your neighborhood or your family. It's easy to look at yourself. And if we think about this world is God's world and what God's will is for it and who Jesus is, and we think of the way things are going, and you think just how desperate the need is. 
Like people need Jesus. We need God's power in our lives. There's things in our lives that are, that are not good. There's, there's, there's bondage, there's sickness, there's, there's evil. There's, if we look at our country or we look at the world and we just see the state of things, like there is desperate need. And then we look at the church and we see like we have a good church, but, but we're not seem to be really impacting and, and bringing like the difference that needs to be made in the community. And like if you look at and embrace the need, sometimes I find this like, it's easy to look on the news, and again, just recently, there's, like, there's floods, like, there's fires, like, there's, there's all these things, and it's easy just to be overwhelmed and kind of ignore. But instead, what if we embrace that, well, th- th- we're in desperate need. Like, the church, like, worldwide, especially in the West, is in desperate need, and just embrace that. It's not comfortable, but embrace it. Secondly, Embrace the reality of our powerlessness. Sometimes we think like, well, if we just make things a little bit better, it'll work. Like if we just sort of make the church a little bit better, then everyone's going to come and get saved. Like or if we just like fix these little things in our lives, things are going to be better. Like if we just talk to this person, things are going to be better. And, and but the reality is we're powerless. Like, like what's needed to shift society, what's needed even to shift our own hearts, and lives in terms of encountering and knowing God, we can't do anything. We can't, we're powerless. Like, it's not just try harder. It's like, no, that's not going to work. Like, we're actually powerless. And again, that's confronting to accept the reality of that because we don't like, that's not comfortable to be powerless. Like, we would like to think that we can just figure things out and we can fix it. But, but the reality is, in, especially talking about spiritual needs and spiritual issues, like we can't change people's hearts. We can't shift culture. We can't even change ourselves in a lot of ways. We're actually powerless. So massive need, and we're powerless. And then thirdly, embrace the reality that God has power, that God has promises, that heaven is full of his abundance, that he's promised that if we ask and if we search and if we knock, that he hears, that he's promised that he's waiting to give good gifts. We look at history and realize that God has moved when people have prayed and even shifted cultures and societies. He can bring revival and renewal. Like, like he has the power to change the things that need to be changed. And if you embrace these three realities, persistent prevailing like desperate prayer makes perfect sense. Like, like, we have a massive need. We can't do anything about it, but God can. The only thing that makes sense is to pray. That's actually the only action that makes sense. It's not a fake, yeah, we should pray. It's like, actually, we really need to pray. Like, there's nothing else that's going to shift and change things except God, and therefore we need to pray. This is, this is, so this is basically, instead of like trying to push aside reality or the issues of life, let them become fuel for prayer. Let them affect us. Let our powerlessness affect us and let it be flipped and shifted into fuel to ask God to move. This is how Andrew Murray puts it. Let every side of souls needing help, let every stirring of the spirit of compassion, let every sense of our own impotence to bless, that's like our powerlessness, let every difficulty in the way of getting an answer just combine to urge us to do this one thing with importunity, this is bold persistence, cry out to the God who alone can help, who in answer to our prayer will help. He's saying, let it all combine to add fuel to cry out to God that he would move. Another guy, Walter Wink, says this 
intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the name what in the name of what God has promised. It's looking around the world, it's looking at our own lives, it's looking at our communities and saying, this is not okay. It's saying, we're actually not going to tolerate this anymore. Actually, it's not okay that, that we struggle with these issues. It's not okay that these kids and these families are not supported and loved. It's not okay that there's not power and the presence of God in our church. It's not okay. And God has the power to do it. And we're going to ask that he moves powerfully and he comes because we need him. It's actually getting to that point where we say we're going to wrestle, we're going to contend, we're going to fight and ask God to do what he's promised. That's, that, that's, that's we get to that place. There can be this power to pray and to intercede. So what we're going to do today, I suppose, I suppose the encouragement just to take, take this away. Again, there's big, big ideas and big thoughts. And, and I've been studying this this week, and it's just been shifting my paradigm of how I think about God. So I, I encourage you to take this today and, and, and think about it, pray about it, ask God about it. And, and maybe there's things in your heart right now that there's desperate need. And maybe, maybe you haven't prayed about them. Well, maybe you have, but it's just like, a, a just a, I'll just pray, and then that's it. And the encouragement of Jesus is to pray boldly, persistently, with confidence that God hears. We're going to respond with communion in a minute. And as we do so, we think about what God is like. That he's a father. And he's promising in Jesus that he hears and responds to our requests. And he's given us the biggest evidence ever that that's what he's like and that's what he wants to do in giving us his son. As we come to take communion today, we, we, we remember our desperate need that God has sent Jesus to, to heal us and to forgive us and to rescue us. It's our exodus out of sin, out of the powers of evil, that we can be free. This is what Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So today as we, we take communion, I encourage you to, to, to receive the life and, and, and the love of Jesus afresh and his forgiveness and his grace. And, and that big gift that he's given us, would that give us confidence to ask for, for smaller things, much smaller things compared to that, for him to move in our community and in our lives and our friends and to pray with confidence and boldness. Um, today I'd like to invite you to come forward or come to the back to get communion. Um, we'll just sort of, in a moment, you can stand up and, and you can come and, and, and there's a couple at the back and there's a couple at the front. And we'll just take some time to respond and maybe if, you, if you're waiting to respond, just take some time just to pray and to, and to seek God. And again, just I know you guys will do this, but if there's, if there's some around who might struggle to get up, maybe if someone can help them and, and take some to them as well, that'd be good. Um, and as well, we, we'll, do, we'll just do the offering when you come up to get communion. So if you have offering to give um, today, there'll be bags at the back and the front so you can, you can put it in there as well.